We be seated. Well, it's good to see so many here this morning. I guess with uh, Christmas being right in the middle of the week, it's like the holiday that never ends. Uh, we had a whole bunch of people here last week and a whole bunch of different people here this week. And some of our folks are gone this week that were here last week and vice versa. But it's always good to see uh, visitors back, especially uh, family members who are back that we don't get to see very often. And we certainly are glad that you are here. For the last several weeks, we have been looking at the little letter uh, that we know as 1 John. And uh, we've already, you know, we're about halfway through, more or less, at least through the scriptures. Now, whether we're halfway through the sermons, I don't know. We'll decide that as we go along. Uh, But we've already learned quite a few things. And one of the things we learned as we began our study is that is that John reminds us that doctrine matters. You know, we live in a world, we live in a society that there is really no absolute right or wrong. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And John comes along and he says, no, 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 no. What you believe is important. You have to believe the right things. Because, and that goes to the second thing, is that holiness matters. Because if you have the wrong doctrine, that often leads to the wrong lifestyle. If you have the wrong doctrine, that often leads to living in a manner contrary to what God wants. And so doctrine matters and holiness matters. How we live matters. And then he says that love matters. And we've been, I know, we've been waiting to get to that part. We love those verses in 1 John that talk about love. We hinted at it last week, those of you that weren't here. But we're still not quite there yet, but we're really close about how God loved us and we ought to love each other and and all those things. And God is love. Those things are important and love does matter. But then he also reminds us that confidence matters. God wants us to be confident in our salvation. I write these things to you, believe in the name of Jesus Christ so that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or full. How can we have an abundant life? How can we have a full life if we're never really sure whether or not we're saved? If we go through life with this idea, well, I'm kind of saved. Maybe I'm saved. Today I am. Tomorrow I'm not. You know, this in and out. And John comes along and says, no, 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 no. We ought to be able to know that we have eternal life. We ought to be able to know that we have fellowship with God. And he's already gone on to explain a little bit of that. And then last week, for those of you that weren't here, we had a tremendously wonderful lesson. It had nothing to do with the preacher. It had nothing to do with the sermon. But it had to do with the passage of scripture. Which includes one of my favorites in all the Bible. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And don't leave that next phrase out. And that is what we are. Wow. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are if we have been born again if we have given our lives to Christ if we've been buried with him in baptism raised to walk in a new 
life, put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, then we are the children of God. And with that, some very great privileges, some very great blessings. And one we just hit on last week that I love is that we share in the inheritance of the son. We share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, our brother. That is an awesome thought. But you know, with every great privilege, with every great blessings, comes responsibilities. Comes a certain way in which we respond to those blessings. And respond to those things that God has given us. In excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 27, and the children of Israel kind of get the, the law and everything, and God is talking to them about their blessings. There's a situation in which in which Moses is standing on one mountain, there's another mountain, and, and they're calling out the blessings that God is giving them. And then from the other side, they're calling out the curses and the warnings that God is giving you. This is what I'm gonna do for you. If you'll do this, this is what I'm going to do for you. But be wary, be worried, be careful that you don't fall into this trap. And I love what it says at the very beginning. It says, then Moses, the priest who are the Levites said to Israel. So this is all of Israel. Be silent, O Israel, and listen. We don't often do that, do we? Be silent, O Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commandments and his decrees that I give you today. And then he goes on and he lists these warnings. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't intermarry. Don't do all these. Don't have any other gods. You know, don't do all these things. He says, you have now become the people of God. But because you have become the people of God, you have a responsibility to obey the Lord, your God. Or there will be consequences. And we know from our study of the Old Testament, they disobeyed God. And sure enough, there were consequences. How many times, those of us that are old enough, How many times did we hear Norman say, there is as much love in a warning as there is in a blessing? Moses said, here's some blessings, but here's some warnings. Last week, John said, here's some blessings. God's love is so great that we can be called his children. But now he goes on. To deliver the warning. Beginning in chapter 3 and verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sitting because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now there's the tease. There's the love his brother. That means we're going to be getting into that love part, but not today. Because today we're going to look a little bit about what John had to say about the warning, about the be careful. He said, we are the children of God. We have been born of God. We have been blessed by God. Therefore, we have a responsibility. We have a duty. We have an obligation to live a certain way. And he reminds us of a couple things. He reminds us of the work of Jesus. And the first thing he says is, Jesus appeared to take our sins away. Verse 5. Jesus stated the same purpose, remember, when he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We mentioned this last week. This was the whole purpose of Jesus coming, was to be that atoning sacrifice, was to give his life for us to take away our sins. You see, from the garden, not Gethsemane, Eden. From the garden, sin has separated man and God. Sin came into the world. And where before there had been a fellowship with God and man. You read that story in Genesis chapter 3. And it just gives me goosebumps. Because you almost get the idea. That every evening. God would come down. And walk Along in the garden with Adam and Eve. He would visit with them. He would talk with them. And then sin entered the world. And you remember as God was coming down into the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They went and hid. They went and hid because that fellowship. That relationship between God and man had been broken. And in fact, it had been so broken that God had to kick them out of the garden and place angels with sword, flaming swords at the front of the garden so that they couldn't come back in. And for the next 4,000 or however many years, there was separation between God and man because of sin. I told you, last we talked a little bit last week. I, sometimes we wonder, why... What was the purpose of the whole Old Testament? Couldn't God have just sent Jesus to die on the cross the day after Adam and Eve sinned? Well, of course. Well, of course he could have. But he had a plan. So what was the whole deal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, and the, and the priests, and the temple, and the tabernacle, and, and all those kinds of things? I think one of the reasons God brought Israel through all of that, and as an example for us, is to remind us 
that sin separates us from God. Because even though Israel was God's chosen people, individually, they did not have the same access to God the Father that you and I have. You see, they had to go through the priests. And the Holy of Holies, the place that represented the actual presence of God, only the high priest and only once a year could he enter that place. And that's why those verses in Hebrews mean so much. When it says, because we have such a faithful high priest, Jesus Christ, we can now approach the throne of grace boldly and with confidence. Wow. Can you imagine an Israelite being so bold as to just walk up to the steps of the temple, walk straight through the holy place and just take the curtain of the most holy place and just rip it open and step inside? I don't know how many of you saw the original Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Remember the guy that looked into the, you know, and his face melted? I kind of think that's what would have happened. I kind of have a feeling that's exactly what would have happened. Because under the old law, because there was no, no sacrifice for sin, except for animals that just had to keep going and going and going and going, you could not approach the throne of God boldly. But because Jesus Christ took away our sin, we can. Romans reminds us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also reminds us that the wages of sin is death. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we were all objects of God's wrath. Now, we've done this little exercise before, but I want you to just think in your minds... About all the objects of God's wrath. Sodom and Gomorrah. The entire world at the time of Jonah. Noah. (laughs) Noah. Ananias and Sapphira. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. I won't go into it because I know you all don't like me to do that. The kids get squeamish when I talk about how that the earth opened up, you know, and then swallowed them all. That would have been enough. But then the earth came back. Objects of God's wrath. And that is what we were because sin separates us from God. But sin also separates us from each other. It separates us from each other. You think about any strife, any problems that we have with one another, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our community, whether it be in our nation, whether it be in our world. So much of it has to do with sin. Now, maybe pride, but pride's still a sin. Wow. Any of y'all ever have your brain just turn off? Adam and Eve's sons. Thank you, Cain and Abel. There we go. (laughs) 
I had Nadab and Abihu stuck in my brain and I could not come up with Cain and Abel. Wow. But Cain and Abel, brothers. And because of pride, murder occurs. And it didn't just separate. Sin didn't just separate Cain and Abel. Because of what he did, it separated Cain from Adam and Eve. And the rest of the family. Sin separates us from God. It breaks our fellowship with God. And sin separates us from each other. It breaks our fellowship with each other. We were lost. We were condemned. We were bound for eternal punishment. But God's love, grace, and mercy had formulated a plan before the creation of the world. To redeem mankind back to himself and restore the fellowship that was lost through sin. He sent his son to live as a man. Perfectly. Without sin. To be that lamb without a blemish. Our sacrifice. Our payment for sin. Our substitute. To die on the cruel cross for you and me. Jesus appeared To take away our sin. But secondly, John tells us that Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work. Satan, the devil, this is verse 8, the dragon, the prince of this world, whatever term you use, he is, now we talked about this, remember when we talked about the Antichrist? You want to know who the ultimate Antichrist is? It's Satan. It is the devil. Who is totally against God. He has rebelled against God. And seeks to destroy the souls of all mankind. He is our enemy. He is our roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. He is powerful. He is cunning. He is scheming. And he is real. We need. Yes real. Somebody's listening. We need to understand that Satan is real. We need to understand that he is out there. We need to understand that he has made it his life's mission to destroy us. To destroy our souls. To ruin us. To keep us estranged from God. To keep us from wanting that fellowship back with God. He's doing everything he can. And over and over again in the New Testament, it talks about his weapons. It talks about his schemes. It talks about his darts. The fiery darts, remember that? In Ephesians 6, all those things. But his ultimate weapon is sin. That is his ultimate weapon. And that sin brings ruin to the lives of those who fall into the traps. He knows that. From the very beginning, he knew that. In the garden before there was sin, he knew that. If I can just get them to do one thing against God, sin will have entered the world and there's no turning back. Oh, don't you want to eat that fruit? Doesn't it look good? God only tells you not to eat it because if you do, you'll be like him. Come on. One bite, one time. 
What's the worst that could happen? Nobody will know. And from that first sin, sin entered the world. And Satan has been using sin ever since then. To keep us estranged from God. To keep us separated from God. But. You remember. In that same section of scripture where Adam and Eve sin. And God condemns the man and says you're going to have to work. And God condemns the woman and said there's going to be pain in childbearing. And God gets to the serpent. And says I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of woman you're going to strike his head strike his heel excuse me but he is going to crush your head all the way at the very beginning God is saying to Satan yeah yeah you won the battle And you're going to win a lot more battles. And I'm going to send my son, the seed of woman. I'm going to send my son. And you're even going to think you've won some battles against him. You see, you're going to try to tempt him. You're going to try to get him to sin. But he's going to win every one of those battles. And then you're going to have him crucified. And you're going to think you've won. But on the third day, he is going to be raised from the dead. Giving witness to the fact that all those who are saved will be raised from the dead. And that is going to be a crushing blow to your head. I believe it was not when Jesus was born. I believe it was not when Jesus was crucified. I believe it was not when Jesus was buried that Satan was defeated. It was when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that put an end to Satan's reign. Now when it says that Jesus destroyed Satan's works, it does not mean annihilate, does it? You the state is still working. I don't know about you, but I know he's still working. We sing that song, God's still working on me. I don't know if we need a song, but maybe we can make one up. Satan's still working on me too. Satan's still working on me too. He's still tempting. He's still out there. And he's got control of other people. He's got their lives. He's still working, ruining lives here and forever. But destroyed does not mean, but destroyed does mean that the cure is there. The inoculation is there. The answer is there. If we will simply make use of it. I think the fact, I don't know about this. You can take it or leave it. But I think the fact that Jesus came, lived his life, died, was buried, and was raised again, 
And so now there is the answer for sin. I think it's made Satan double his efforts or triple his efforts. Because you see, before that point, he pretty much won everything. But now, now there's a cure out there. Now there's a prevention out there. Now he's got to work harder to gain those souls that he wants. So Jesus appeared to take away our sins. He appeared to destroy the devil's work, which leads us into the third point. We cannot continue to sin. Look at verse 4 again. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You remember that the false teachers that John is trying to refute were those who said, I can have fellowship with God. I can know God. I can be saved and live my life any way I want to. I can go out and be sexually immoral. I can go out and be a drunkard. I can go out and do all these. I can do all of this because what I do in the flesh has nothing to do with my spiritual side. And John comes along here and basically says, are you kidding me? Are you seriously saying that? How can you even think that way? How can you even believe that you can have fellowship with God and then live in such an ungodly manner? That absolutely cannot happen. It reminds me a little bit of what Paul tells us in Romans 6.1. Remember that? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. You see, we go back to the wrong doctrine can lead to the wrong lifestyle. You see, the doctrine of these people in 1 John and the doctrine of the people that Paul was writing to in Romans was different. They each had a different false doctrine. Okay? In Romans, the false doctrine was, well, God's grace is so great. God's grace is so wonderful that the more I sin, the more grace I get. Well, who doesn't want more grace? Okay, now you and I are going, well, that's just dumb. But to them, it made some sense. But it led to the lifestyle of, well, I can keep on sinning, do whatever I want to, because God's grace will just be piled on me. These folks in 1 John, their doctrine was, what I do in the flesh or physically has no, nothing to do with me spiritually. Two different false doctrines 
that led to the same wrong lifestyle. But you know what? If we're not careful, we can like that lifestyle. I want to continue to do the things of the flesh. I want to continue to do what I want to do. Therefore, I'm going to concoct some kind of doctrine that's going to make all that okay. And John says, that won't work. Remember, Paul said, if we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in in it? That's Romans 6. John says, how can we be children of God, born of God, and still continue to sin? Those are rhetorical questions. You can't. He even goes so far to say that if we continue to sin or do not love our brothers and sisters, we are actually children of the devil. Look at verse 10 again. This is how we know the children who this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Well, that's something I'd kind of like to know, wouldn't you? I'd like to know who the children of God are, who the children of the devil are. I like it when, you know, I watch some of those old, old football films from way back. Of course, it was black and white, so I'm not sure. But it looked like they're all wearing the same jersey. I mean, it just looked like a big dark jersey. And how do you know whose team is what? I want that distinguishing feature. John says, you want to know who the children of God are? And who the children of the devil are? Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now he's not talking about. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, okay, if I sin, I'm not a child of God, but you're telling me I can have confidence. Remember that? And you're thinking, wait a second, uh, how do you, he's not talking about, I don't believe the occasional, accidental, uncharacteristic sin that creeps into our lives. He already talked about that in verse one, in chapter one. Don't sin, but if you do sin, there is an advocate, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, I believe we cannot deliberately intentionally, continually engage in sin and call ourselves God's children. We cannot claim to have fellowship with God while we are still fellowshipping with the devil. There has to be a change in our lives. We are called to be different. We are called to be holy. We have been called to be set apart, sanctified, justified, all those different things. We cannot keep living our lives with the world. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. There's still going to be sin in our lives. But it ought to break our hearts when we sin. It ought to bring us to our knees when we sin. We ought not just pass over it. We ought not ignore it. 
We ought not just go on and not worry about it. It ought to kill us inside. And we certainly are not intentionally and deliberately going to keep on doing that. Why not? Because we are the children of God. Wow. If I'm God's child, I'm not going to live that way. If he's blessed me like that, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live as he's called me to live. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.